This is Understanding Money and I am Owen McGee. You're very welcome back or you're very welcome for the first time. This one is all about property, buying your home. I'm going to be honest, I will be guilty throughout this of referring it to a, as a house. A home is a home, whether it's an apartment, a house or whatever it is that you're going to buy or you're hoping to buy. So just forgive me that from the outset, I might keep calling it a house. What do we want to get out of today's episode? The first thing I want to do is I want to set the scene of where we are right now from a property perspective. I want to talk to you about demand and supply, back to the inflation stuff, and just set the landscape of the Irish property market. Then we're going to get the macro view. We have Lorcan Sir coming in. He is from TUD. He's going to give us all the big numbers, all the big details to back up the thoughts and the feelings we have around property. And then finally, we will go to Q&A before going to give you the tips, tricks, the things you need to know, the things maybe you didn't know to help you get on the journey to buying a property. This episode is for you. If you're slap bang in the middle of it, you might pick something up. Or if it hasn't really crossed your mind and you kind of went, maybe I should start thinking about that. So what is the property landscape in Ireland like right now? The reality is, is that house prices are going up and they're going up continuously. In fact, property prices today, some measures would suggest that we're now back to just pre-2008 crisis levels with certain types of property, three bedrooms in Dublin, I think it was, are straight back up to where we were just before the last crash. They've been rising steadily for the last couple of years. The biggest problem with them is supply. We don't have supply of property. Lorcan might give us the precise numbers, but I know roughly last year we built 20,000 houses. This year, they're patting themselves in the back because they might build 30,000 houses. We need about 90,000 houses. And it is possible for us to build about 90,000 houses because we did it in 2006 and 2007, before the last crash. But we're nowhere near there. And as we learned last week or the week before with, with inflation, when there's huge demand and very little supply... The supplier can decide what price they're going to charge for these properties. Government have tried to intervene. They've said, look, if you've got a vacant property and you're not using it, we're going to tax you through the hilt. They're trying to push developers on to try and do it. The banking system isn't really helping developers. It used to be a thing that a developer would rock into a bank and say, I want to build 100 houses on that greenfield site. And the bank would say, there's the money for the 100 houses. Go build them and pay it back when you've sold the houses. Now the banks are much more like... Here's the money for the first 10. Sell them and come back to us. We'll see how we feel about it. Here's the money for the second 10. And what happens there is is then the big corporates from international builders come in and start to build. That is not necessarily a problem. I do believe inside the media, we often see this issue of we have international companies and they get called vulture funds and all of these different things coming in and buying up our properties. They're also coming in and building properties much faster than we can do it here. And we do need an element of that without losing control. But ultimately, with house prices the way they are right now, you're looking at a situation where until the supply is sorted, I cannot see how property prices are going to go anyway but up over the long term. And listen to that. I'm saying over the long term. I haven't got a clue what's going to happen to house prices in the next year or two years or any short term period at all. I have no idea. And I would strongly suggest anybody who tells you what's going to happen over the short term is either guessing or they're lying. 
they might be an educated guess and I'm going to might have to eat my words because Lorcan's probably going to come in and give us some ideas but I don't believe it and actually if you look back to a year into the pandemic if you look back to March or February or March 2021 a year after our very first lockdown two people who I have a lot of respect for David McWilliams and Ronan Lyons are on record as having said they were put to the question if you had been told this time last year that this pandemic was going to happen what would you have predicted would happen house prices and I I can't put words in their mouth but but more or less both of them said if you had told me there was going to be unemployment at the levels it was or government supports at the level it was if you had told me that all the businesses in the country were going to have to be shut down if you had told me that this was going to happen what was going to happen to the economy over the next 12 months I would have told you that house prices would have dropped and when they were on record of saying that and they were admitting that actually they would have been wrong they weren't getting caught out they were saying I would have predicted prices to go down but in fact at that time they were up at about 7% based on the first year of the pandemic so guessing can be an educated guess but it's no use to you if you're the one trying to buy the house if you're sitting here today and you're listening to this or you're watching this on YouTube or whatever way you're consuming this content and you're wondering to yourself should I hold on what should I do should I sit back and say let's just see what happens house prices I would say to you, there are three rules, and you will have heard me say these before. The first rule is, is you have to find a home that you love. The second is, you have to find a home that you love and you're willing to stay in for 15 years. Why 15 years? Because if you hold on to the property for 15 years, history tells us that the property prices will go back to, even if we have a massive crash after you buy, within 15 years, it'll go back to where you started again and you'll be back in positive equity. But most importantly, you have to buy one that you can afford. Because if you buy it and you can afford it, and the one next door sells in six months' time for 50 grand less, it doesn't matter. It might hurt, it might annoy you, it might piss you off that some of your next-door neighbour got it for 50 grand less. But remember, you can afford it, you love it, and you're happy to stay in it long-term. There's other variations when people are sitting there. If you're sitting there going, yeah, but I'm single now. Maybe I should hold on and see if I get into a couple and maybe I won't want to stay there for 15 years. If you're single and you're thinking about buying and you can afford it, you love it, if your life is still the same for the next 15 years, that's the decision you make. If my life stays the same, I would be happy to be here and I can afford to be here. When another person is introduced to your life and you become a couple, the finances get thrown all over the place. You, They bring something to the table financially, you bring something to the table financially, they might have a property. Don't put your life on hold. You love it, you're happy to send it long term and you can afford it. That's how you make a decision as to whether a home you're thinking about buying is the right thing to do or not. Let's have a chat with Lorcan. Let's talk to Lorcan now about what he thinks is the mechanics. What are the levers that are moving our property prices up, down, left or right? What are the solutions? And are we actually worse off now than we have been in the past? Is it harder to buy a home? I'll give you a little spoiler. It's much harder to buy a home. Let's see if he agrees with me. I'm joined by Dr. Lorcan, sir, and I really appreciate you coming in. I What I'm hoping is we can have a chat around what your view is on property and sure. where we're at. Yeah. So you're lecturing in TUD, is that correct? Yeah, I'm there. Uh, to my surprise, I was there 21 years, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, those years go by very quickly. <laughs> and most of that time, I started off in commercial property and valuations and planning and development, and now I mostly do housing. Okay. So just give me a jump straight in. What do you think of the state of the property market in Ireland right now? 
Well, people think it's it's um, you know it's something really unusual, and it's a you know never seen anything like this before. Actually, it was the same in the thirties, same in the sixties. I go back and I for my my sins and my job, I have to read doll debates, and I read them from the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, whatever. And in the sixties, they're talking about you know why are we building hotels and offices instead of houses. In the thirties, they're talking about we can't afford to build social housing because it's too expensive. You could just change the dates, and it could be twenty twenty three. So we've been here many times before which says something about our inability to learn, uh, you know, from past experiences. The one thing that man learns from history is yeah. that man doesn't learn from, from history. history. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 I suppose the difference this time around is that we have, there are m- many more global players in the market than there were, you know, back in the 60s. Like, we were insular until like the 70s or 60s or 70s, you know. Um, but now there are many more global players in, in the market in terms of financing and also, you know, delivery of, of mostly apartments. So that's a different, but, you know, the same, the principles of, of a crisis, or I, I've given up calling it a crisis, just a housing failure are you know the same as it's interesting though so we 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 have been here before the problems are similar or the same yeah but i did some maths on it and yes i took a very specific case and i looked at it and it was in my second book i think it was where i looked at it and said okay someone in the late mid 90s trying to buy a house versus someone Mm. trying to buy it today the book was written two three years ago so it's it's out of date still yeah but i did find that in my mathematical calculation it was harder to buy a home now than it was then do yeah. you think it is? It is. And like there, there have always been affordability issues. Yeah. And it, it wasn't connected to the price of the house. It was more connected to wages and rents mm. uh, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Now it's much more, you know, your salaries have divorced or separated uh, increasingly from the price of housing. So, yeah, no, it is. It's mm. it's harder, all right, but there was arguably more options back in, in the 50s and 60s. For example, back in those days, councils built private houses. Right. And you got your mortgage from the council. I look when my dad died, I went through his box of tricks at home and I found the deeds to the first house. And you know, he bought it from Kildare County Council and he got the mortgage from Kildare County Council. And that was all and it was all affordable and all that kind of stuff. And now they, like really where things started to go awry in terms of wages and house prices was in the seventies when we let the banks give mortgages. Prior to the mid seventies, banks weren't allowed to give out mortgages. And of course as soon as you do, they're joined, they just see a you know, a huge market there and they're outbidding each other, giving Owen more money than Larkin, then Larkin more money than Owen. And you know, you see house prices rocket. So mm. and and you see the same in the UK. We are no different to the UK, the same stuff in the early seventies, you know, this the deregulated mortgage market like we did and the same you know, divergence in salaries versus uh, house prices. And we used to let councils borrow money. Like, like, mm. like, like at the heart of a lot of our housing problems is the fact we don't have social housing, right? And I know a lot of people think, well, that's not relevant to my situation. Well, it is because yeah. what we've done, instead of having people being able to house people in social housing or council housing, we've housed them in the private rental sector. Mm. That's, you know, taken up an awful lot of of supply that was there, rents have gone through the roof, then people are stuck there, you know. Mm. And at the same time, we're not building a, a huge amount of houses. So the, at the root of a lot of our problems is the fact we don't have enough council houses. You know, yes. there's 50-something, 6,000 households, not people, households waiting for a council house, which will, I suspect, never be, you know, we'll never kind of house all those people. There will always be a big waiting list. But that's that's at the root of it, that kind of problem. And we used to let councils borrow money to build them, and we used to let them off and just yeah. do it. Now it's all command and control they can't borrow money. They have to go to the Department of Housing four times for approval for one scheme, for example. And it's delaying everything. So, you know, councils used to have a lot more autonomy. And now it's all been centralised and planning and housing back into the custom house. And it's interesting when you think about that, because as you said there, that's not relevant to me. Social housing doesn't have any impact to me. But, but sometimes people struggle to put that connection yeah. together, the steps of the ladder. So, oh, they're building 800,000 euro houses around the corner. What's use is that to a first time buyer? That's because yeah. the second time buyer has moved from their 300 or 400,000 house into that seven, 800,000. And it's all freeing up stock 
beneath it as people move up the ladder. Yeah. What you're saying as well, with social housing frees up uh, the An other kinds of demands. More, and it frees, you know, it, it, what the problem is that we have so many, I think about 50,000 more people uh, in, in, or, you know, tenancies in, 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 in HAP and things like that. Mm. You know. Ultimately, they should be housed by the state, you know. Actually, ultimately, like what we have, it's our, our concept of social housing is very interesting. It's only for those in most need. Mm. You go to somewhere like, uh, it was a, with some people from Vienna and Germany there the other day, you go to Vienna, you and I would be living in public housing along with the ex-Prime Minister and along with the taxi driver and the butcher mm-hmm. baker and everybody else because their concept of public housing isn't what we call residualised. It's not just for the worst off, it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you put your name on the list in Vienna when you're 18 mm-hmm. and you'll wait an average of 19 months to get your, your you know. Well, and they subsidise it. This is the thing. They think that, you know, some, I know listeners will be thinking, oh, they're sort of communists or something. They don't. They subsidise really heavily developers to build apartments for them. So they build about 7,000, in Vienna alone, about 7,000 apartments a year. And they subsidise them really heavily. But they don't just hand the money to the developers. They say, OK, you're getting 70 grand an apartment, but they have to be this size, this, you know, that to be what we call gender friendly. That sounds a bit bonkers, but like no dark corridors, no dark car parks, maximum five storeys so that if your kids are playing in the courtyard, you can shout down at them and say, hey, Dinner's ready. Tobias, your dinner is ready. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. All that kind of stuff. You know, but that's all... They make really good design. and everybody wants to live in because they're so well designed and so well managed and here it's you know that kind of idea interesting has been residualised yeah interesting you say that because what you described it's not a housing crisis it's a housing failure and there's a good example of a place that it works in yeah. where are our biggest failures here what, what is our biggest problem why is it such such so difficult on people to be able to buy or to get their own home? Well, firstly, housing policy is, it's not, very little housing policy as far as I can see has any decent evidence behind it. It's kind of horse trading between government departments, particularly mm. like deeper in finance and housing as to what budget you'll get, and then horse trading between industry and the department okay. as well. And that's because we rely on the market. So therefore, you have to talk to the market and see what they want. And, you know, th- those kind of compromises, they end up, solving very much a problem for developers and, and for those people. And I'm not anti-developer at all. You need these people. But it doesn't necessarily create the kind of housing that we need. You know, we we need family homes to buy. Uh, instead, we're getting tens of thousands of very small apartments to rent. You know, mm. And I can see it in the numbers. People are leaving the large urban areas, particularly Dublin. So first-time buyers in Dublin City buying new housing in the last five or six years is down over 70%. Wow. It's up over 200, nearly 220% in the, what I call the Middle East, the Mid-East, so the greater <laughs> Dublin area, you know, the Kildares, mm. uh, including the Louth, all the, the Meads, that's where people are flooding to the, and actually so the only along for the Mullingar even now. It's down by 70%. First time buyers buying in, in Dublin, Dublin is down by 70%. In Dublin City, yeah. And outside, of the, in the connecting counties, it's up by, what did you say? It's 215%. So they're moving out farther and farther. And actually, you know, those figures, since I got them, which was about six months ago, it's now into Longford and Mullingar. And the problem there is, of course, because this is why Eamon Ryan goes mad, public transport doesn't suit all these people, right? So they're hopping, they're buying another two litre, 10 year old, three series BMW, okay, polluting fumes into the air, all that kind of stuff. And they're driving into work. And how do you fix that though? Uh, well, I think uh, like the last time we had a, a housing mess, a real one, we've always had a housing mess, a real one like 2006, 2007, 2008, we built the right types of housing, as in housing for sale, in the wrong locations all over the country. Okay. Okay. Now we're building uh, the wrong type of housing, which I would argue is small units for rent in all the right locations. But these developers, if we blame the developers for this, right? Well, I don't blame, blame the developers. Blame, blame is the wrong word. Yeah, yeah but, but these developers are building these because they know they can rent them out or they can sell them. They're, they're, they're not stupid either. So why well, are they doing this? No. Oh, well, they're, they're doing it because they're less doing I don't really blame the developers. The developers are free market agents. They're doing what they're let do. So mm. the question then is, like, who lets them do this? And the answer is that they're, you know, basically planning policymakers in the Department of Housing. 
have, you know, rolled over and said, you know, and Owen Murphy lifted the height cap, for example. People, often economists would say, oh, we should build high, that'll make, you know, housing cheaper. Building high doesn't make housing cheaper. It makes it more expensive because it's expensive to build mm. uh, that. And also, the more units you can put on a site, the more expensive that site is. Talk to me about the demand and supply issue. So what is the demand for new housing, new homes in Ireland uh, that, in a given year? Yeah, really tricky question because you'll find, like I think predicting the amount of houses that we need every year is is basically finger in the air stuff, right? Mm. Because you can calculate using all the demographics that you want and then something like Ukraine happens. Mm. And they're not even counted in our demand. But who could foresee that was going to happen? Yeah, fair. So there's always going to be things that happen that are out of our control, particularly as we get more globally connected. So who knows is the answer could what you the keep, demand is. Could you keep it as simple as, like the year I did the Leave Insert, there were 67,000 of us did the Leave Insert that year, mm. right? And the way I look at it is, is you kind of put, I'm, I'm a little bit gone past my Leave Insert days, but if you roll forward Leaving Insert today to 15 years later, that's kind of bringing it to mid-early 30s, yeah. right? Those 67,000 people need to buy, they all hit 33 years of age at the same time and imagine that's the magic age they're going to buy. If we only provide 20,000 houses, does 47,000 of those didn't get their house in the year they wanted to or should have or could have or whatever well, normally would have? We're never going to build enough houses for people for, for lots of reasons. One, the capacity to mm. do that. And two, like I, I can tell you for the last six years, the amount of houses that we built every year has gone up over 100%, right? About 100%. So, you know, six years ago, we were building 14,000, 15,000. Now we're building 30,000, allegedly. Well, we don't need to get into that debate, but say 30,000 last year. In the last six years, on average, only about seven, seven and a half thousand of those every year have come to the market. In other words, those new houses will appear in your local estate agent's window, right? Mm. So as the number, as the output has doubled, the amount of housing that comes to the market has gone from about half of all housing in 2017 to about 28% last year. And what's happened to the other 72%? Ah, well, interesting. So social housing output has increased, which is great because we, like we said a few minutes ago, we need loads of social housing. But apartment development has gone up from, I can't remember what it used to be, but it's like up 414% in Dublin in the last right. six years. So it's all these apartments for rent have taken over sites where we should have had medium to high density housing, two and three story housing that, you know, like, mm. like they do in the Netherlands. Go to the Netherlands. Dublin to Galway and down south of that M6 is the size of the Netherlands and it has 17 and a half million people there. Wow. They don't have high rise. What they do have is really good density housing. So you won't have side, you know, it'll be mostly terraced housing, but they'll have gardens and they'll have parking, but a bit of good design and you can get an, you can get an awful lot squeezed in. And the thing about the housing, of course, is much cheaper to build than apartments. So therefore, the sales price or whatever is, is also, you know, commensurately more affordable. Have we got to a point, like if you look at, when you think about Berlin, the last figure I have in Berlin is about 82% of people in Berlin rent. It looks like we are building up properties now that are going to be rented out. They're not going to be sold as units. Is it fair to say that, look, Dublin and Galway and Cork and Limerick and the big cities are just going to become more like European cities and we're going to be renters in the city and owners outside the city? I, th- I think it probably will. Whether it should happen or not is another thing, but I, I think that is probably going to happen, particularly in Dublin City. There's going to be an awful lot of, of renting for high earners and the people then who work in your local spa and butchers mm. are going to be living in Mullingar and getting up at the crack of dawn to get in and driving mostly, mm. you know. So so I think, yeah, probably will. Like, I mean, there was a narrative for a good few years about we all need to rent and there, like, you know, government policy and, and it's in the housing for all the government government policy document, like there's a huge emphasis on supplying private rental. But, you know, they're willing to, to promote the supply of it, but they're not willing to give the security 
of tenure or affordability that also comes in Berlin yes. that people forget about. Yeah. That you, you can paint the walls and be there yeah. long enough to see it and, fade. And the argument I hear all the time is, oh, deregulation, deregulation. You know, there's too much regulation, therefore, you know, landlords don't go in the market. Actually, you go to the countries with the highest levels of rental accommodation, particularly Switzerland, Germany, Denmark, they have the most regulation. Mm. They're the most regulated markets. Okay, let's let's imagine you were given the levers here and you were told, look, you're in control now. You control, You we will do. You've got full support from all these... Yeah. Departments that are fighting with each other yeah, and, and yeah. horse trading between each other. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, and it's you now are the boss. What, yeah. are, you do, what are you doing tomorrow morning? Resign. <laughs> Deadly. Uh, I think. The, I think the first thing that I would do is I would I would give much more autonomy to local authorities and let them like let them start at, with the social housing. Okay. okay, let's get that underway full tilt. Like last year, we built local authorities built directly built fewer than seventeen hundred new homes. Right, there's fifty five thousand people out there now. They did deliver, you know. 6,500 overall through different mechanisms, but mostly relying on the private sector or on charities or, you know, approved housing bodies. So I think that's the first one. So I'd get rid of the four-stage process between local authorities and the Department of Housing. I would give much more, I'd let local authorities borrow money and if they need to raise local property tax to fund that, that's fine with me. And so I would do a whole lot of things to try and kind of temper, and this is a really, really tricky one, right? In an ideal world, what I would want, you don't want runaway house price inflation. Okay, And now that's a really hard thing because two-thirds of us are homeowners, down from 80% not that long ago, but two-thirds of us are homeowners and we don't really like, we're not comfortable. We know your kids can't afford a house because the house prices are going up, but yet on the other half of us we're going, hmm, the angel on the other shoulder is going, hey Larkin, your house prices has gone up, you know, 100% in the last five years. So it kind of means nothing in a way mm-hmm. unless you borrow against it or unless you want to sell it. Or But yeah. what it means is that in your will, that's, what, that's how we transfer wealth in Ireland. Yeah. It's not cash. It's our property. I, I I don't want to set you up here, so I'm going to tell you what I said mm. in the introduction, which you haven't heard. Yeah. I have a strong belief that anybody who tells you what's happening with house prices in the short term is guessing or lying, right? Now, you have, could possibly have a very educated no, guess, and I respect that. Guesswork. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's your projection? And I'm, I'm not going to hang you just to short term, but where do you think house prices will be in the medium to long term? Oh, well, government policy is all about maintaining the and increasing the price of new housing. That's without a doubt, because the idea is that if we can help sustain the high price of new housing, more developers will supply housing. Okay. It's perverse. Okay. Just to wrap up, and you weren't expecting this, but I was very heavily heavily influenced by my dad based on what I do today. Yeah. You mentioned your dad passed away. How long ago was that? Oh, 2008. Long time 2008. Ago. Ironically, he worked for the Department of Environment. That's my question. Of housing. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I was wondering. Was it him who led you into what you're doing today? No, absolutely not. No, he was a civil servant and and for all his career, uh, since he came, up, he came up from a place called Williamstown in East Galway as soon as he could and came up here and worked as a civil servant. I joined the civil service back in the day and I lasted six weeks. I well, he was in the hated. Department of housing though, he was, was he? Yeah, no, so he, there was he, chats around he, Sunday mornings he was about a, housing he was, he was a HR guy you know. I, I, I lasted six weeks in civil service I, I couldn't you know the job I have at the moment a bit like yourself I suppose we have freedom yeah. you know to do what we do and to think and to express ourselves and nobody really says boo to us the civil service is the opposite of all that <laughs> you know Lorcan I really appreciate you coming thanks in home. thanks Pleasure. for your knowledge your time and your experience Pleasure Owen thanks Thank you I'm joined by Amanda in studio. This is the part where we talk about the questions and answers. Amanda, remind everyone who you are. Hi, I am Amanda and I work very closely with OWN uh, through Prosperous. Um, I'm the marketing manager there. So I do all the marketing for Prosperous and I help with OWN on his own pages too. On social as well. So it's always your job to try and collate these. I never heard these beforehand, but you've heard them all Mm -hmm. and you were going to, let's just jump straight into the first one. Absolutely. Let's Let's get going. Hi, Owen. Richie here. I'm just wondering when it comes to buying a house 
am I better off saving for as long as possible and having as big a deposit as possible or am I better off to get a mortgage as soon as possible and getting the maximum amount which is available to me thank you Thanks, Richie. Tell me, what do you make of that question? What is he actually asking? Summarise it for me. What he's asking is, should he continue saving and build up a very large deposit for a house or should he... Get a bigger mortgage. Get a bigger mortgage. Have less of a deposit. Yeah. And basically looking for the pros and cons. Unless you were guaranteed that you're saving at a rate faster than the increase in property prices if property prices go up, okay? So if we knew property prices were going to go up by 5% and you want to buy a 300,000 euro house, 5% of 300,000 is 15,000. So unless you're saving more than 15,000 euros a year on that property in particular, you're going to lose ground next to property. Now, the opposite can happen. It can go down. If you go for a mortgage? No, if you continue to try and save. Okay, So if you're trying to out-save property prices going up, on a three hundred thousand pound house, three hundred thousand euro house, you need to say fifteen grand in the year. Okay, okay, and that's just to keep pace with the property price increase. Now, of course, property prices can go down as well. Yeah, and you might be better off having held off. But that's a guess. And we've I talked about in the, in the introduction about when is the right time to buy. It's when you can afford it, when you love it, and you're going to yeah. stay in it long term. And what I would say is, is that in most circumstances, if you can just concentrate on buying what he loves, what he can afford, and he's willing to stay in long term he would be better off getting onto the property ladder sooner rather than later. Okay. Is yeah. is the straight answer to it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the disadvantage to that is you're going to have a bigger mortgage. Yeah. But if he can afford the mortgage repayments, he's ticked one of three boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, if he's got more capacity to save, he can build up a savings pot there to clear off the mortgage a bit sooner too. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Did I answer his question? So in, in simple terms, Amanda, what I'm saying is it's unlikely he's going to be able to save at a pace that's greater than the property prices increase yeah. by and therefore he's going to lose ground. Yeah, and which is actually something I didn't consider when I listened to this question. So yeah, like yeah. the property prices are going up all what the What would your time, good so feel have been on that question? I suppose like from from paying a mortgage and everything yourself, I suppose it, it, you kind of think the lower you can get your repayments, the better. Yeah. But it's not always the best thing to to hold off. It's um, not. And you also have to remember your mortgage repayments in the first couple of years are at the highest as a percentage yeah, of your yeah, salary. Yeah. So in 15 yes, years exactly. time, yeah, yeah, if yeah. he gets a 90% mortgage now or he gets an 80% mortgage now in 15 years time, it's not going to matter a damn to him. Yeah, yeah. I remember my parents saying that to me. As well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go for question two. Hello, Owen. We live in New York and we are currently looking about buying a home or rental property in Ireland. We are just wondering what is the best way of going about it, getting a mortgage, etc. Thanks for your help. Isn't that deadly? New York. He's listening yeah. to the podcast. We were looking at figures in the office here the other day and we were seeing the people know, all around yeah. the world. It's mad. Um, the people who are around the world who are, who are listening in. Yeah. So his question, Amanda, am I right? He wants to know, he wants to buy here. He's planning on moving back here. How does he go about doing it? Yeah. yeah. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is get yourself a decent mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. Like get yourself as soon as possible. Like it doesn't matter how far out you are from, and this goes for anybody who's thinking about buying, sit down with a good mortgage broker and say, this is what I'm trying to do. You have a look at my accounts. Do you think that I need to change anything before? And the sooner you do that, the better. Most good mortgage brokers will help you with that because they know if they help Mm. you now and give you, do a good job, they're banking a client for the future for themselves. Okay. The thing is, is the mortgage broker is going to give them a steer about their lending, what lending capacity they're going to have, how much they're going to be able to borrow. But also you need to come up with a big chunk of a deposit. If you're not Mm. going to be here and you're not going to be resident here and you're going to rely on your income, assuming they're going to buy when they're still over there in New York Mm. and they're going to buy here, 
they're going to need a 40% deposit. 30 to 40. 30 yeah. to 40% yeah. is I've seen happen in the past, whereas a first-time buyer needs 10%. Yeah. Because you're not in the country, the bank says, oh, hold on a second, we want you to have a bit more skill in the game. It's going to be 30 to 40% is what you're going to need. I'll actually post it after is exactly what it is, but I think it's 30 or 40%. As I said, I didn't get these questions beforehand, but you do need a much bigger deposit because the bank are kind of going, well, you're going to be harder to chase down if it goes wrong here. So if you have more skill in the game, yeah. we're going to be happier to give you the, the rest of the money. There's only actually one bank off the top of my head. There's only one bank who's really in this game at all that okay. are willing to do it. I won't mention them in case I got it wrong, but uh, yeah. just to remind everyone, we don't do mortgages in Prosperous, but we are going there next year, <laughs> aren't we, Amanda, head of marketing? Yes. <laughs> I was like, will we throw it in? <laughs> yes, we will throw it in. We're going into the mortgage market again next year, but we're not there yet. Yeah. Does that answer his question? I think it does, yeah. And just, I suppose, to go a bit further on that, and because I know another question that comes up a lot as well is, he hasn't moved home yet, Yeah, but it's for someone who's thinking of buying. Isn't there a certain period of time when you move back to the country that you have to be back? Great point, yeah. So typically the big problem, once you land back here and you, if you start a new job, the yeah. biggest problem, and this is the same for anyone starting a new job where they've just landed back here or they've just moved job, you're going to have to have your probation finished before a bank is going to look at you. Mm-hmm. Some banks will give you a mortgage approval and yeah. say, yeah, that's grand, provided your probation is finished by the time you draw down the cheque, by the time you're getting the keys to your house, we're okay with that. Probation is the big key thing. Yeah. The other thing is, is don't think that any problems you have over wherever you are aren't going to follow you home. They are going to ask you to get a credit report from the country that you were in yeah. and they're going to want to see that here. So you'll usually at your own expense, you're going to have to go and get the credit report and bring it back over with you. It's not a bad idea before you leave wherever you are to try and get that stuff because it's just easier when you're there if you have to walk yeah, into or particularly if there's yeah. a problem. Um, Mm -hmm. and you want to get it fixed on your credit report, it's much easier to do it within the country you're in right now. Probation is an interesting thing. If you come back or you start a new job, what I would say is if probation is the thing that's holding you back and the mortgage provider saying, no, can't give you a mortgage, you're on probation, talk to your boss. Go to your boss and say to them, any chance you'd finish up my probation? Are you happy with me? You're not happy with me? If your boss says yes, great everyone's winner. If your boss says no, it's not necessarily anything to do with you. Your boss just might be worried about setting a precedent or they Mm. might be worried about, they might be grand with you, Amanda. Yeah, I'd be happy to finish up your probation but I'm just worried about Johnny coming in and hearing that you got it and I have to say no to him because I'm not happy to finish Johnny's probation. So ask the question, if you get a yes, great. If you get a no, don't take it personally. It could be a precedent thing or it could be a concern of something else and not yours. But sometimes your boss will finish, finish up probation. Bosses love when people buy houses mm-hmm. because yeah. it's you've now just become a bit more reliant on your salary yeah. and it's a bit more stable and fixed and it's a different phase in someone's life and therefore bosses really like to help people and you know what I'm an employer I own the business and I love that I like what to we, help out people yeah, yeah. And, but I also yeah. love that what we're doing in Prosperous allows people to buy a home for themselves yeah it's a nice feeling when you hear yeah. of someone yeah. actually going for a mortgage that's working for you yeah because you're kind of like this is being created by all of us yeah. and it's feeding everyone's Feeding, everyone's getting fed out of it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Next question. Hi, Owen. So my question is, myself and my husband, we're in our early 40s and um, we have two kids. We have at least 15, probably about 18 years left on our tracker mortgage. We didn't fix it at the start of this on advice from lots of people, including yourself. And we thought it was the right thing to do. We still do. But we're being absolutely annihilated with payments. It's gone up nearly 500 euros um, now from what we were paying. It's killing us. So I'm just wondering, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Or is there anything that you can advise that we can do? Thanks very much, Owen. Bye. 
absolutely big question. We get this all the time, Amanda, it's, don't we? And it's exactly why I said we actually had a couple of questions come in about tracker mortgages, all of kind of different variations, whether they should switch to credit unions, whether they should switch to a different provider, what should they do? And it's interesting because my answer to this question has been very consistent from mm-hmm. the very start. If you are losing sleep yeah. over your repayments, you need to just give up the tracker and go and get fixed. Yeah. And I can actually I've noticed, and you're going to notice it now I say it to you. I've been saying sleep for 15, 18 months now, right? Yeah. If you're losing sleep. Some of the banks now have started putting billboards up, <laughs> losing sleep over your mortgage. And I go, on, I have I'm, actually noticed that. Have you noticed so, that? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm absolutely claiming credit for that. Yeah. That's me. That's us, it. Amanda. That's <laughs> us out there, right? We're claiming that the marketing departments can't come up with their own thought processes and they're robbing ours, Amanda. Yeah. But if you're losing sleep over it, it's not worth it. Money is not something you should be losing sleep over. And if there's anything that will help you get sleep at night, if going fixed is going to help you get sleep at night, great. But if you're not losing sleep, it's just annoying you. It's like, oh, what should I do? What's the right thing to do? Let's just remind ourselves what a tracker is. A yeah. tracker is, it'll go up and down depending on what the European Central Bank do, mm-hmm. right? A variable rate will go up and down depending on what the local bank decides, your bank decides they mm-hmm. want to do. And it's literally that. Whatever they want to do, they can do. They can put it up, they can put it down, they can do whatever they want, right? We have gone from having mortgages in Ireland a year ago were 50% fixed, 25% variable, 25% tracker. Mm-hmm. Today, it's 50% fixed, 30% variable and 20% tracker. So 5% of people have moved okay. off it. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen a reduction in the in the variable. And actually, I could be slightly wrong. I, I'm absolutely sure of the 25 going down to yeah. 20, but some of them may have gone into the fixed. They may not at all gone to variable. Mm-hmm. And my problem with that is, is that the banks today in Ireland, we have gone from being one of the most expensive places to borrow money for a mortgage in Europe to the third cheapest the last time I checked, right? Okay. And if I was a banker, I'd be sitting there going, Let's make it attractive for people to go fixed and give up yeah. their tracker mortgages mm-hmm. because now we've got all the control back. Mm-hmm. We don't, haven't given it all the way to European Central Bank. These tracker mortgages cost us money in the long run, okay? Yeah. And we have no control over them mm-hmm. as a bank. So the more we can attract people in, I don't think it's unusual. We still have the same problems with the banking system here and the things that they've been telling us for 10 years, mm. the reasons why they've been giving us or the excuses they've been giving us because we pay more than anybody else does are there still the same excuses that are there, but we're managing to be one of the cheapest in Europe now. It doesn't make sense to me yeah. other than to take people off their track of mortgage. And ultimately, the decision you're making here with your track of mortgage is, do you want the European Central Bank to decide how much you're paying next month or do you want the local banker to decide how much you're paying next month? To give that person a little bit of hope, if you go back and listen to Jim Perry, the very first episode we did, we both agreed that we're probably plateauing now in terms of interest rate rises. We will probably stay here for another year. And Mirren Lynch agreed with us a week later where she said, yeah, and it'll probably come down um, in 2025 is where we're going to start to see the decrease. Even since we've recorded those things, there's been some macro numbers that have come out Mm -hmm. around the world to suggest that things are starting to slow down in terms of growth and everything else. And that could see inflation decrease quicker than they expected. But right now, it looks like we've taken all the pain and we probably will stay here. Unless things change dramatically, we're going to stay where we are. So I would ask you, if you've got this far and you're not losing sleep over it, I still think it's the right thing to do. Particularly if that person where you've got 15, 20 years left on their mortgage. Mm. If you've got five years left in your mortgage and you can get a fixed rate cheaper than your tracker rate for five years, you don't care about what variable rate you're going on afterwards. Mm -hmm. So there are certain circumstances And the last comment I'm going to make about trackers today is this is general. Everyone's individual. There has never been a time where specific advice for your specific circumstances is needed. It's this. Don't give up the tracker without having a proper discussion 
about your finances with somebody qualified to be able to give you the advice on it. And don't get the advice off the bank. Yeah. Like, absolutely don't. Like, talk about turkeys voting for Christmas. Like, best interest for them. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. though it's dressed up in another way. Yeah. Amanda, I know you'd spend a lot of time trying to get these questions. Mm-hmm. Go on, help us help you. How could your life be easier for getting these questions in? <laughs> so the best way of getting the questions to us is voice note. Um, we do like to get them by voice note. But if you can send them to... You don't have the number now off the top of your head. You I, do. I do. I do. I do. 87 2910507 that's 0872910507 so that is a, you can whatsapp your voice note to that yeah. and yeah. we we're happy to get whatsapp questions and um, voice notes with questions on them you can send us suggestions for guests in the future topics you Absolutely. want covered in the future yeah. comments queries mm-hmm. anything like that send it through there that's how you communicate with this podcast and especially if you've an interesting story that you'd like to share yeah we're yeah. always looking for interesting know. people mm-hmm. so and we're nice aren't we yeah Amanda, thank you very much again. Thank you. Property is a complicated area and you're never going to get it covered off in a short podcast like this. We will, like the couples one, we're going to come back to property again in the future. I'd say again and again and again. Property is complicated, but it's also full of emotion. And you do need to try and strip out some of the emotion on your property journey if you're going to be able to think clearly. So a couple of things that I do think you need to get yourself sorted out. I would suggest starting to buy a property and starting the process in your head should start one, if not two years before you're actually thinking of pulling the trigger. You need to sit down with ideally a decent mortgage broker. The reason why I'd say mortgage broker is because when you walk into a mortgage broker, you walk into all the banks. If you walk into just a bank you're walking into just that bank. Mortgage broker gives you much more options. But sit down with a mortgage broker today and ask them to have a look at your finances. Now, before I say that, and people are going, oh, I'm hoping I'm buying in three months' time. Am I too late? You're not too late. I'm saying the ideal set of circumstances a year or two beforehand, ask the mortgage broker to have a look through your finances and tell you what could be cleaned up, what could be changed. The type of things banks or lenders are looking for when they're assessing you is they want to confirm two things for themselves. One, have you got the ability to repay this loan? Are you going to be able to make the mortgage repayments on a month-to-month basis? And secondly, have you got a deposit? Is their security going to be okay? If things go wrong, have you got some skin in the game, typically 10%, so that when they sell your house because you're not making the mortgage payments, if they sell your house because you're not making the mortgage repayments, they're going to be able to get their mortgage back and cover their costs for doing it. That's what they're trying to figure out. Ability to repay is a more complicated one with the security. They just want to see that you've 10% deposit. They want to see that you've saved it yourself or you've, you've put some skill in the game personally. The ability to repay is a different animal altogether. What they want to do is, is they first of all, they want to see that there's been consistency. So what I would say you should do today is, is get on to Daft or figure out how much you are able to borrow. You're allowed to borrow four times your salary as a first-time buyer. So... When you take your salary, if you're on 50 grand, means you can borrow 200,000 euros under the central bank rules. If you're on 50 grand and your partner's on 50 grand, that means it's a combined 100 grand and you can borrow 400,000 euros under the central bank rules. There will be times where you can go more than that, where they can give you what's called an exception and they can give you more than four times your salary. Their starting point for you is let's take my salary on my own and multiply it by four and me and my partner's salary, add the two of them together and multiply it by four. Jump onto Google and say mortgage calculator. Take the number that you've just figured out that I'm able to borrow at this level and find out what the mortgage repayments are going to be. To keep the math simple, if the mortgage repayments were going to be a thousand euros a month, what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to walk into a bank, 
when you're ready to buy and say, your mortgage is going to cost me a thousand euros a month, but look at this, I have an ability to repay 1300 euros, 1.3 times whatever the mortgage repayment is going to be. Pump it into your calculator. 1,000 euros multiplied by 1.3 is 1,300 euros. 1,700 euros multiplied by 1.3 is, I don't know, what you can do it at a calculator, you'll be able to find it out. Just take whatever the mortgage repayment is, multiply it by 1.3 and prove to the bank that you have an ability to pay 1.3 times. The reason why I say 1.3 times is, is they want to look at it and they say, if mortgage interest rates were to go up, would you be able to sustain that extra amount? How you prove you can save or how you can prove you have the ability to pay 1.3 times the mortgage repayment is by showing them that you've been saving 1.3 times consistently for the last 12 months or more. That you can show them really clearly, there it is, I'm paying out €1,300 a month, or that you've been paying rent at that level, or a combination of the two. So if your rent is 800 quid, wherever you're paying that, and you've been saving 500 quid, that's €1,300 you're proving your ability to repay. You need to be conscious of what way you present yourself to the bank as well. They want to see nice, clean bank statements. They want to see them kind of gradually going up. They don't want to see your money coming in at the start of the month, all of it going out, being left with nothing. Money comes in, all of it goes out, left with nothing till next payday. They want to see nice, clean bank statements. They don't want to see any bounced direct debits. A direct debit goes in, I know, you have to pay your mobile phone bill. They go in looking for the money. There's no money in your account and they get sent back to them and say, that was bounced, it wasn't paid. They want to make sure, and this is a kind of a contentious one, they want to make sure you're not going to bet with their money. Now, this is an interesting one because if you are someone who likes to bet, and that's your choice, entirely up to you but if you place a bet don't do it through your bank statements I remember I had one guy and they said oh sorry we can see that he's using uh, an online betting company and we're not attracted to that loan they wouldn't give him the loan he said but I'm doing really well do you want to see my account <laughs> his betting account was doing do not want to see it that's not the point they will take a view that if you're willing to bet with your money you're going to be willing to bet with theirs and what I mean by that is you might make the mortgage repayments because you'll bet with it it is an interesting one it's not a case of if you put money on Cheltenham once a year that oh your mortgage is going to be declined in fact you could be doing something once a week and your mortgage still may not be declined but if they're looking for an excuse not to give you the money it's often one that's used but it doesn't mean you will definitely be refused just don't give them the excuse don't if you're going to bet don't do it through your bank accounts remember your history is your partner's history your partner's history is now your history you need to find out if there's anything there that you or your partner aren't aware of Go on to centralcreditregister.ie today and find out what the banks know about you. This is a free report and the banks all share information about you and it's all stored centrally in the centralcreditregister.ie. Get on there today, punch in your details, find out what the banks know about you, but get your partner to do it too so that you don't find out in months to come that you're falling in love with a house, you've put the deposit down, you've put the mortgage application and you find out that the credit card that you left behind you in Ireland when you fecked off to Australia a couple of years ago is now coming back to haunt you. Make sure you know at the banks because if you do have a problem with your credit history, go to the bank at the start and tell them about it. They're going to find out about it anyway. Tell them about it, tell them why it happened and give them confidence it's not going to happen again. There's lots of other things that a mortgage broker is going to be able to give you a steer on in terms of how your bank accounts look and what way you should present yourself and how much you should be saving or renting or combination of both to prove your ability to repay. There's other supports out there as well that we're not going to have time to go into it today. You could look at the Help to Buy scheme. Help to Buy is where you get a refund of your taxes that you've paid over the last couple of years to help towards the deposit for the house. You also have the first home scheme which is basically in simple terms it's a shared equity scheme and what that means is you put your deposit down you get a mortgage from a bank and then the government puts in a chunk of the property price as well these things and we touched on it very briefly with Lorcan these things are great for you 
they're not great for the outer society in terms of where house prices might be driven because of help to buy or the first home scheme. There's lots of supports out there. It's a difficult journey. It's a rewarding journey. And if you're the person who keeps getting outbid or you've been trying really hard and everything just feels out of your grasp, we are only going to build 30,000 houses this year. But remember, every house that you don't get, every apartment you don't manage to buy or house you don't manage to buy, someone did buy it. And it's not, it's easy for us to imagine, oh, it's always these big corporates or cash buyer or whoever else it is. Somebody bought it. Your day will come. Just make sure you're prepared and you're ready for it when it does. As I said, it's a tough journey. It's an emotional journey with lots of paperwork and it's not for everyone. Paperwork is not for everyone. Make it easier on yourself. Get people in your corner as early as you possibly can in terms of mortgage brokers and everyone else. Get to know your local estate agent. Go and look at properties so you can find out what you don't like. Play with Daft each night and myhome.ie each night and see what's becoming available. Whether you're ready to buy now or not, get yourself accustomed to what's going on in the area you want to buy. Let us know how you're getting on. Share it in the comments. One of the best things I see, particularly on Instagram, is when people say, I did this, I bought my house. And other people are kind of coming back and saying, oh, how did you do that? And this conversation starts. Talk to people. Talk to professionals and talk to friends. Lots of people have been through this process before and they're always happy to talk to you about it. That's the end of today for the property couple of things I do want to say. First of all, thank you for listening. If you've come this far with us on this journey, whether this is your first episode or your fourth or your fifth or whatever this one is, thank you for coming along with the journey with us. It's been surprising for us. It has just exploded and it's been excellent. And I sincerely appreciate every single person's time that they take and they devote it to listen to this. Following us makes a massive, massive difference to the charts. Please hit that follow button, whether it's in Apple or Spotify or wherever you're consuming this content, please do hit the follow button. Share with us on social media what you think of it. But also, if you like some of the interviews, we do have to cut them down. The full-length version of the interviews are up on YouTube. Stick in Owen McGee or Understanding Money or both into the YouTube search panel and you'll find it. Have a look at the YouTube channel for some of the longer interviews because not everything makes the cut, but there's some really great content there. Thanks for listening. This was Owen McGee with Understanding Money.